0: All right, so the book of Mark, if you remember, it addresses, it's written uh, by a guy named Mark who kind of hung out with Peter. Peter was, uh, it's believed that this scripture uh, is actually written off of what Mark gleaned from many of Peter's sermons. Okay, it's very specific. The target of this scripture, uh, of this letter, is going out to non-Jewish Christians. Okay, that's very important. Because these were not those that grew up in this certain uh, religion or belief system that the nation of Israel grew up under. They didn't have the same rituals and all the sacrifices and all the things that they were going through to please God under an old covenant. This old agreement that God had with his people of how they would act in front of them. Um, But they were able to see it from the outside and watch these people. Okay, so it's important that we understood that these were Gentiles, which means non-Jewish believers, but they were Gentiles who were believers in a Jewish savior. And so you have some real cultural clashing going on here, especially as it relates to religion. All right, and I would only imagine being... uh, maybe a Roman citizen of the time, and all of a sudden you hear about this Jesus guy who was Jewish, and all his people were not real happy with him, but he was doing amazing things, and something happened in me, and I believed in him, and I was trying to figure out how to live, I might naturally want to say, well, maybe I'm supposed to live the way the nation of Israel has always lived, or maybe this is how I'm supposed to interact with God, and there may be some real confusion going on there. Because at this time, there was a real struggle with the nation of Israel. If you read the Old Testament, they, would, they, they were kind of up and down in their relationship with God. You know, On the brink of destruction, because they were so jacked up to God's grace and goodness. And this cycle kept going back uh, cont- continuous. And so, they're looking at this Jewish religion. And they're seeing a, a lot of ritual and sacrifice, meaning giving sacrifices to God. Um, but then there was a problem. And, and it's not unlike any time, I think, in the history of religion. Is there, when you begin to do ritual and sacrifice, you also begin to have a little bit of piousness and sometimes pretense because we're able to do stuff. And the more we do, the better we think we're doing with God. Um, and so here they are looking at this, and Jesus comes into the scene and he's, he echoes some words from the Old Testament, Matthew 9 13, that says, He essentially says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Scripture, throughout Scripture, is telling us to love mercy, to understand what what that means. And so Jesus is changing the rules of what it means to be a follower of Him, changing the rules of what it means to glorify God in this moment. I've talked about this before, but it was kind kind of rekindled in my mind uh, as I was reading the scripture this week, I remember going to a Christian university as not a very committed believer at the time. And, and I rolled in there and I was kind of doing my thing how I wanted to do my thing as a college freshman and um, getting into kind of the wrong crowd and, and trying to struggle my way out of that. and And finally getting into that moment where I was around all these people that were trying to live out their faith. OK, and I began to try and live out my faith with them. But I felt this really odd, um, this odd pressure to do things that I wouldn't have normally done. To, to change the way I dressed and the music I listened to and, the, and all of these things. Like I, I, I mean, I, I threw away um, all of my Guns N' Roses tapes and all that stuff and bought DC Talk and Christian music. And, and I wore the bad t-shirts and all that stuff, you know. And what I realized is, is that I was performing for the, for the, for the people I was around. And I had this image of what I thought religion was supposed to be, and I was, I was held captive to it right away. And the problem is, is I, closed, I changed my shirt, but I wasn't changed anywhere else, you know? And so I was in this constant struggle of trying to figure out how to please man, and, and, and I was really trying to please God through doing this thing, this image that I thought Christianity was supposed to be about, but what I've realized several years later is that it took about 15 years to kind of break out of that and begin to really get at the heart of who Jesus was. I don't know if that's been a struggle from the very beginning all the, all the time, but I know it was a struggle then. And I think it's a struggle again today that it's easier to just put on this pretend I'm, 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 I'm a heavily committed Christian who don't, who, and I don't struggle with anything. And it's, it's easier to pretend to do that, so we think we'll fit in. And, and so we, there's just this pressure to do that. And, but it's not who we really are. And more than that, it's not what God expects of us. And I think this is what Jesus is doing on, on this journey. He, he's not saying, just put this stuff on, but let me change truly who you are you no longer find your identity in trying to perform for God or do all this stuff for God or do all the right things and stop doing all the wrong things. But instead, your image is not found in that, but your image is found in Christ. And I think this is what this, is, this whole thing... The Gospel of Mark is just this... It's a story. It's a story of Jesus. To those of us in this season who didn't grow up in this religious way, if you look in your outline... Let's start, let's start there. It's the story of Jesus on the very first, a couple sentences there. You fill these blanks. You think about them now, think about a little bit more later as well. Here's what he's doing. Jesus is clarifying what it means simply to follow him in a world of polarizing extremes. Uh, He not only announced the good news, but he became good news. What I mean by polarizing extremes is that there was a day where you either had the heathen or you had the self-righteous Pharisee. It seemed there wasn't much room for in between. Because you weren't allowed to to go between there. There was no space for you to be there. You had to choose where your loyalty was. Deny everything and live over here or live over here. And so here's a world of polarizing extremes. And yet Jesus spent a lot of his time in the middle. And we're not talking about middle being compromised. But we'll see a little bit more what that means here in a moment. And we've been learning that not only did he announce, he said, hey, I'm announcing this good news, this kingdom, that there's this new way, there's this new life, that if we all live this kind of faith, that we're going to become good news and there's going to be his rule on this earth, one day there'll be kingdom of heaven thing. But right now it's really possible that if we truly live in this type of community that Jesus spoke of, no one would be with need that we would really experience the love and the security and the the emotional needs, the physical needs, spiritual needs that we have, that there could be this beautiful image of the kingdom, that which Jesus prayed for right here. So let's look through there. If you have your own on that front page, we have that. He clarified what it means to follow him, specifically in this world of polarizing extremes. And I think we still have that today. Wouldn't you agree? Don't you feel that pressure? For years, I just put on a different me on Sunday. Oh, if they only knew the real me. Even things I wasn't convicted about, I was afraid I'd be criticized for. Interesting, okay? So here's what's happened through this storyline. Real quick, these bullet points on here. These are the things that define Jesus that were different from the religious of the day. The first thing was that he was inclusive. And the scriptures are there. We've looked over these. He always included people, okay? He was very inclusive, he wasn't exclusive. Second one is then he moved in. Scripture tells us that he was meeting needs. He first, if you remember, mo- met emotional and physical needs before he even addressed their spiritual needs. He really cared about people. He was really with them in their need. Third one there is that he hung out with the unlikely. And when I say unlikely, the Bible specifically called them the greatest outcasts of their society. Sinners, tax collectors who had align themselves with the enemy. Okay, that's who Jesus aligned himself with he truly had dinner with them he went into their house and he was accused the next one he was accused you know jesus was accused of being a drunkard he was accused of you remember he was accused we learned a couple weeks ago he was accused they said your power comes from satan even not only the pharisees accused him because of what he was doing his family accused they thought he was gone crazy remember so Jesus is, is, is not towing the line of what he, everyone thought religion had been. Then in Mark chapter 3, verse 30, he began to redefine community, Christian community. At the tail end of being accused, remember he said, these are, my, these are my brothers and my fathers and my sisters, those who do the will of God. He's redefining what true biblical community is as a community that doesn't just talk about it or study it, but tries to go out and really live it together. And he told us that that was then that community, not just us as individuals, that community is the greatest testimony of the kingdom together, who we are together. So the next one, Mark four, he told stories and he introduced the kingdom, this idea of this kingdom where God's dream or God's ways, his rule could truly happen in our hearts and, and where we are. And then last week he calmed the storm. He calmed the storm. So many applications to, to what's going on um, there. So what's happening is Jesus is coming onto the scene, scene and he's redefining the way we do faith. Okay, and he's bringing a hope. And he's not in, excluding anyone. And um, he's he's explaining how, he's showing how he is a saving. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He saves us. But then in chapter 5, we begin to see him not just saving us from this brokenness, and this, but he's, he begins to restore. He begins to take people who are, are, are broken and who have made really bad decisions in life and who are really held captive by some things that are going on around them, and he restores them to the way things should be. In chapter 5, Jesus begins to restore what is broken by taking an honest look at depravity and dealing directly with evil. And that's where we are today. Let's just read Mark chapter 5. There's no way to do this without reading the whole story. And specifically, what I want to talk about today is this idea and this concept of evil in the world and what it does, what its work is, and how sometimes it keeps us from doing what jesus is calling us towards so we know jesus was speaking to the big crowds he got in the boat he took off there's a huge storm took a nap everybody was scared to death said jesus how could you take a nap and he goes oh yeah okay chill out water and everything was cool so they got to the other side it says they went across the lake to the region of can anybody pronounce that i'm not gonna try Thought about looking it up and acting all cool for you but i don't know how to say that When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. So he lived in the graveyard and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with the chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. It's an interesting moment, isn't it? That so many other people couldn't figure out who he was. And yet this demon-possessed man who was just at the, the pinnacle of his brokenness and saw exactly who he was. Then Jesus asked, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out, went into the pigs, and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with them. Jesus did not let him. Instead, he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in, in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Pretty extreme story, isn't it? It's not often we see, you know, a demon-possessed guy, the demon gets cast into a bunch of pigs and they run down and drown. That would make news. Um, and i got to be honest with you, sometimes I just wish Jesus would work obviously in our lives like that. Wouldn't it just be easier to just, oh, what do you want me to do? oh, okay, there's pigs running around now and they're jumping off cliffs. And... I think there's a handful of lessons that we, we, can, we can grow, uh, we, can, we can learn here as we think about the brokenness and we think about what, the reality of what was going on there first. And I think the first thing that we need to think about is, first of all, is that evil is very real and that evil is very personal. Evil is very real and it's very personal. And the, the reality is, as is we see Jesus' teaching in other scriptures, when he talks about the evil one, he's very specifically talking about Satan. That there's a very real enemy, and he is at work. And I think one of his greatest strategies is to try and convince us that he's not at work. I think one of his greatest strategies is to try and convince, yeah, maybe, yeah that can't really be, be true. Because then if we don't have to worry about him, he can do all kinds of things. He's pretty sneaky. But it's interesting to me, I've had some really strange experiences in my life with some real evil things. And it's very interesting to me how in our mind, we can even experience, there are people who are experiencing demonic things during their day all the time. There is evil out there like crazy. We've seen people who have just downright experienced it and they will see evil, but then still question somehow the spiritual realm or reality of there being actually being a God. It doesn't make any sense. We go, oh no, I know there's evil in the world, but I'm not sure about a God. But the weird thing is, is when we do the exact opposite and we say, I believe there's a very real God in the world, but this whole evil thing, I'm not sure that is really there. It's a very big reality, and it's very personal. Jesus called Satan evil. In his prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we see in First John three three through eight, three chapter three verse eight. It says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Evil is very real, and evil is very personal. Matthew 13, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, it's the evil one who comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. And so I hope somehow we could see this at work in this time in this story. And we go, why in the world does this story need to be in the Bible for us to hear today? And I think, first of all, we need to stop and recognize the presence that there's some bad stuff out there. Okay, let's just not ignore it as we begin. The second thing is, is that evil is progressive. Evil is progressive. If we look in this story here, we see that this was a man who had an impure spirit and he lived in the tombs and it said no one could bind him anymore. So at one point they could. At one point it was small. At one point it seemed to be manageable. But what happened when it was unchecked in the proper way, it continued to grow until it took the guy over. And then not only did it take the guy over, but it took all those around him over as well. Now, there's a lot of implications of that in our own personal life. Man, we like to control things and we think we've got things squared away. But I think this is a warning us to, re- to see how it grows. James taught it this way. I think this is the best one of the best scriptures in the Bible that teaches us how uh, sin takes root. And how we are tempted and how that grows. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and they're enticed. And then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth um, to death. And so we're seeing these two different things, and, and where evil is at work. One is from the evil one, and then two is in our, in our own brokenness, in our own heart. Scripture tells us that our heart, uh, it says, who can understand it? it? It's more deceitful beyond all things. So we have these two things at work that really set us up pretty bad, ourselves and, and the evil one, okay? Okay. But the good news then, verse six through seven, is that evil submits to Jesus, submits to him and Jesus alone. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. There was no doubt, and he's just so crazy. We we try and do so much in our faith for and we try and it's not that we want to cover up stuff, we just keep wanting to fix it. And 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 the thing is is that Jesus' message was saying you can't because the problem isn't just your individual sin or our individual sin, the problem is the sin of humanity. We are born into sin. And the new covenant, this new agreement that God has made for us is is that Jesus has come and has died for that sin for all humanity. And so we live in that freedom and we fight the fight against sin and we do all of this, but we cannot get rid of it on our own. And I think Jesus has given us an example of at the very root of it all and giving us a permission to just really kind of let go of that and lay it then in front of him. This is, a, I think, an important one. Did you look at verses 15 through 17? Um, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressing in his right mind, and they were afraid. What do you think they were afraid of? What were they afraid Yeah, really answer me. The unknown therefore, What do you mean the unknown? Just that it was just so out of the box, I didn't know what to do with it? Okay, what else? Does anybody fear change here? Seriously? What else? Probably in awe. I think that's good. I'm sorry, my mic, I'm jacked up up here. I keep messing with my ear. What else? Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I think it's all of these things, and, and, and I think it's interesting. Uh, I'll give you this point. Evil thwarted makes us really defensive. This is, I think, a really strong look into church culture today and Christianity today. I think when other people's sin is exposed, somehow it helps us distract from our own but it also makes us scared. I think when Jesus begins to work in other people's lives, it scares us. There have been seasons in my life when Jesus started working in Jen's life and it scared the fire out of me. I'm like, what are you about to get me into? Husbands, you know what I'm talking about? I think it's a really interesting dynamic that they saw this thing. I think there's a handful of things. I think some of them were like, oh no, you just killed 2,000 of my Pigs. There's probably some financial ramifications there, right? The way of life, their well being, some food, just all the things that they need. But then, complete change. You would think that they would look at him and go, Jesus, we need this too. Help us. But instead, they begged him to leave. And so, what did he do? He left. That's the part that's interesting to me he just he left you've seen this scripture for ephesians 6:12 our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evils in the heavenly Realms. I think about the defensiveness. when I get most offensive is when I start fighting for the thing itself. And I start fighting for thinking it's about this car or this house or this person or this thing that makes me sin, or whatever it may be. And what, he's, what we're learning here is that there's a very real presence, a very real battle going on in the spiritual realms that that is where our true battle is. A battle for our loyalties a battle for our willingness to to look at the fact that Jesus is probably going to radically change our lives and want to submit to that. I think there's a real problem in the church today because we would rather a Jesus that we could just get saved by and, and just kind of keep him over here in the corner and live our life the way we want it, And then Jesus is over here in the corner and we do whatever we want to do. And Jesus, don't jack up my life too much. Okay, but I love you, Jesus. And and we keep him at at arm's length. And then we wonder why our life lacks power. And we wonder why we feel like we're missing out and we're just not being transformed. And we're just not getting fed and we just don't know what's going on in our lives. And we're still stiff-arming Jesus over here. All right. I think the last thing here, and in many different ways, evil tries to distract us. I think very specifically, it distracts us, first of all, from Jesus, personally, from Jesus, from us coming to Him. That's the biggest. It's the smoke and mirrors. It's like, no, Jesus isn't there. He's over here. It distracts us from Jesus personally, but then also distracts us from His purpose. I thought this was interesting that this guy wanted to go. These people were like, Jesus, get out of here. And this guy was like, take me with you, Jesus. And he goes, no, I want you to stay here. Your work is to be done here. I thought this was really interesting. We're talking about this. The big buzz phrase in, in church today is missional, is, is being on mission. We talk about being on mission and trying to live on mission all the time. And we're trying to really define what mission means. He'll hear, I think Jesus tells us right here what mission means. What this means is, is he's doing work in us, in you, and then he sends us back to where we live. And we don't get to just go hole up with Jesus and hang out all the time. He gives us the spirit. He hangs out with us as we hang out out there in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. He doesn't let him go. And two thoughts I just want to kind of make sure that we grab as, as we wrap up. Uh, the scripture. First one is, we cannot get past this thing that Jesus changes everything. There's a lot of a push in the world today for religions to, to all be the same. Oh, there's just there's one God, and and we have all these different prophets and teachers that are like Jesus, and they're all similar. We're all going to point. Jesus is the only one that just says, no, nah, it doesn't matter what you do. You just have to receive this gift from me. He's the only one that is not based on works and how you can perform and the sacrifices you give. It's just based on whether or not you are willing to submit to him as who he is and just receive that free grace. It's it's a completely, completely different thing. I was talking to a friend yesterday and we were talking about the scripture and he said, I really love the scripture. He said, Because I'm watching, you know, Jesus leave the crowd and go over the the water and, and deal with this completely insane, crazy, messed up guy. He he fixes them. He gets confronted by all the other people there that were challenged, and they asked him to leave, and he left. And he said, he went over there for that one guy. He left the crowd and he went over for one guy. And he looked at me and he said, I'm that one guy. And I stopped for a minute and I'm like, I think I am too. But then I had to step back and I go, and I thought, I don't know. Brandon, which one are you? Are you that one guy? Are you everyone else? Seeing what Jesus is doing and saying, that's nice and all but would you mind leaving? I want to know about you. I see what's going on here, but don't mess me up. Which one are you today? If we were to go anywhere, we already know that Jesus is the one who has authority over everything. We know he's the one that died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says that Jesus specifically said, I am the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father except by me. He's the only way. Because we can't do enough. He, he is the only way. We already know these truths. We know these realities that we've been teaching for months and months and months. We know all these things. And then we sit at crossroads and we decide. Are we the one who recognizes our brokenness and our sin? And we run to him to be restored. Or are we the one who sees him doing it and everyone else or other people? And we just want to keep him at arm's length.